So I do, I do have a, uh, a Christmas present for you. I, I am known as the long-winded preacher, if any of you don't know. Um, I don't do things very short and concise, and I apologize for that, uh, especially to the Sunday school teachers, because they're the ones that are like, oh, David's teaching today. They don't want to be on the schedule that day. Um, but uh, we're, we're, we're going to cut this down today. Uh, I think I can actually ruin or undo the greatness of what this day means, what this season means, if I go too long with it. I think it's, it's just going to be better if we just let the word speak and we, we keep it short. So um, uh, there's nothing more awesome than to be here talking about what it is that we get to talk about this time of the year and what we talk about today, which is Emmanuel, which is God with us. And we need this, don't we? I don't know about you. I need this. Uh, I know that we try to take all of our sermons, the guys here that preach, and we try to, no matter where we're at in the Bible, we try to make a beeline for the cross. You know what I mean? And so I, we try to weave this into everything. But um, it, it's amazing. It's amazing how easy it is for us to get caught up uh, in the secularism and the excitement and, and even the stresses. Um, for a lot of us, this is like the, the most chaotic, anxious time of the year with people that we are dealing with that we don't usually deal with and, and uh, uh, going around purchasing things that we don't usually purchase for people and just trying to make sure that we're covering everybody, right? It can get pretty, pretty crazy, um, even to the point to where we can forget whose birthday it is, right? Uh, we can forget who's, and we all know, I, I hope we do. If not, I'm sorry. Uh, that, like, like December 25th probably isn't the actual day, but of course this is when we celebrate the incarnation. This is when we celebrate. We don't know exactly what day it was when Jesus was born, when God was born, but this is when we celebrate it, and it's easy for us to forget um, whose birthday it is um, or, or why we have a joy to the world, right? Um, I remember as a kid, I'd get invited to birthday parties, which was always rad, because it meant that I was going to get something that day. You know what I mean? Uh, whether, whether the party was going to be at, at like Chuck E. Cheese or Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor, I, I'm, I'm dating myself, but um, nonetheless, because those were cool places that we didn't normally get to go. But so, so I would be excited if someone invited me to their party because I knew that I was going to get to go somewhere that I would enjoy. Uh, that I would be excited about. And then I knew that at that party, there would be things for me, right? So there was usually the cake, the ice cream, maybe some little trinkets that would be laid out and you'd take that home. Um, and, and then the coolest part would be when, when whoever's birthday it was, they would open their presents um, and then we would take over from there and play with all those new cool things that that kid, like it didn't matter to us if that kid was in the corner crying at that point, right? It was, it was just like, this is so cool, you know what I mean? And it was all about like, like me. So like these parties would become like, like a me day rather than a, than a them day. And at some point you had to stop and go like, wait a minute, like whose birthday is this? You know what I mean? Like, who's, whose birthday is it, and why do they matter? So, so I'm here once again today to remind me first, and, and then you, whose birthday it is, and why we should be completely and utterly blown away and consumed at the incarnation of the Son of God. There's nothing greater that's ever taken place. Nothing greater. So I'm going to open, and you can open with me if you want to, to John, the Gospel, chapter 1, which is the same place you went to last week. 
And so, uh, like, as close as me and Brent are, we don't always communicate well. And so I was prepping for Christmas service, and then, of course, Chad got really sick last week. And so Brent got called out of the bullpen, uh, spur of the moment, and he just grabbed something quick, and we didn't. So we get together last Sunday after church to kind of talk about how it went in Lapine in here. And I'm like, how did it go today, dude? What would you preach on? And he was like, John 1. And I was like, no, you didn't. And he's like, yeah, I did, man, I'm sorry, you know? And, uh, and so we're, we're going here again. I kept it. I didn't scrap it. I really don't care, all right? Apparently, God this season wants us all in John chapter 1, you know? We're just looking at this. So, and and I'm, I'm actually going to focus more on verse, verse 14 than the first five, but we're going to read uh, the first five uh, verses, and then we're going to do the classic jump, leap, to verse 14. You guys all know the drill, right, when you get to, okay, good. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it or comprehended it. 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John, just as you heard from Brent last week, opens this gospel by introducing us to the subject, the subject of the gospel, which is the Word, a.k.a. Jesus. I don't think there's any way to dispute this once we get down a little farther. We'll go there. And so John opens up by telling us three things about this this word, this person known as the word. Number one, that he was with God. Number two, that he was God. And number three, that he was the maker of all things that have been made. And of course, once we make our way down to 14, uh, the, the word, this person is clearly identified as the Christ, uh, the one who became flesh, human, and dwelt among us, which leaves no room for speculation and no room for debate concerning who John is talking about here. He's talking about the man Jesus. The man, the word. The man, the word. They are the same, right? And, and once we know the word is Jesus, this kind of throws everything on its head as far as people's personal interpretations concerning who Jesus was. Because that the word was with God and became flesh means that the one who would become Jesus never wasn't. He never ceased to exist, right? We have eternality that's spoken of there. It speaks to the pre-existent, all-existent reality of the one that Jesus was before he came. It also means that the word was God. The person who would become Jesus was God. So he wasn't just a sidekick. He, he wasn't just there kind of hanging out, ready to, to do whatever needed to be done like, like he actually was, He actually is, always. Um, That's his identification, which is is ultimately why um, he was tried and he was murdered, is because he claimed equality with God. He claimed to be God, which is called blasphemy, which is a no-no. You didn't do that back then, right? It got you a quick trip to the cross, which is what happened, but he, he claimed this. This isn't something that he tried to hide. And then that all things were made through the word is the third one, which also means that the person who would become Jesus stepped into and took on the nature of that which he created. This is mind-blowing to consider, 
that he stepped into that which he created and came underneath it, became a part of it, right? And how did he do this? Verse 14, right? The word became flesh, became human, became like one of us, right? To dwell among us. So God who, who made all that is and preexisted before all that he called into existence became one of us. And his name when he did was Jesus. All this to say that the Jesus of Nazareth was not just a great teacher. He was not just a great person. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a good moral dude. He was not just a spiritual guru. Jesus was God. Jesus was God um, as one of us and among us. In other words, the one who was held in his mother's arms as a baby was the one who was simultaneously holding the universe together. This is crazy to think about. This means that Jesus was not merely a conceptual, conceivable product of Mary and her choices, but was already there, existing eons before Mary ever did. In fact, I'll do you one better. It means that he was the one ultimately responsible for the creating and conceiving of the person Mary long before she conceived him, that he ordained her to conceive him is a reality that is pretty mind-blowing. And he, be, he came in the flesh to take on our likeness, to become like us, as one of us. Don't sing the song. Brent will get mad, okay? Um, it's not a good song. It's a really bad song. Hopefully, never mind. Hopefully, none of you know what I'm talking about. And, and so, and so like, uh, to become like one of us, what it meant is that Jesus had to come near to us. He had to come near to us. In other words, he had to move into the ghetto, that you and I live, I mean, seriously, he had to move into this ghetto compared to where he was, right? He had to move into our neighborhood. He had to relocate into our zip code to be where we are, like we are. And this is what Paul is speaking of when he says in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, which means, which means held on to. Like, there's no way I'm giving this up. I'm staying right here. I deserve it. This is who I am. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. But he emptied himself. This is called the kenosis, where he actually let some things go, which is just, again, crazy to think about as God. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even to the point of death on the cross, which is the most shameful and the most pitiable way that you could possibly die on this earth. Thus, Chad Bird says, God hangs out in the most inhospitable spots. He chooses God-forsaken places as the venues in which to teach his people that he has not forsaken them. This is Christmas. This is the manger. This is the incarnation, is that God has come to our ghetto to tell us, I have not forsaken you, even though you are dirty and unlike me. He's come to us. He's come near, which brings us back to 14, that he dwelt among us. Um, I don't know if there's any more of a beautiful concept to me in the scriptures than this idea that God came to us. Dwelt or dwelling simply means to get near to. It actually speaks to proximity, right? You and I, most of us, we have a dwelling that we came out of this morning and that we're gonna go back to, that we go to sleep in, 
and that we wake. It's, it's a place of proximity. It's a place of comfort. It's a place of safety, right? It's near. Um, that's what we're talking about. But even, even more dwelling that he dwelt among us speaks to access. This is the most important part of all of it. It speaks to access. It, it means to be made accessible. That when God did this, he made himself accessible to you and I. So what we have here is the word who is God and who was with God becoming flesh, one of us in the person of Jesus who has come near to us so that we may have access to him. That we may have access to him. And the question becomes why? Why? Why would he do this? Why would he want to do this? Why did it matter to him? to come near to us. What's the big deal? I mean, after all, at this point, the human race has long blown it. Long blown it. They're puny, insignificant failures. Not even interested in him. Not even interested in the one that's created us, but only interested in ourselves and the worship of that which has been created rather than the creator. So it's like, just annihilate them and start over, right? Like, that's why I'm not God. It's a good thing. Like, that's, you know... It's just logical to me at this point, right? Not to, not to him. And this is where the beauty of the incarnation makes its entrance. This is where it makes its entrance. The beauty begins in the fact that there was one. That there was one, an incarnation. And I praise him every single day for it. It's my only hope. It's the only thing that I really have to cling to and to throw myself on. And I've tried doing it with all kinds of things in this world. I have tried finding fulfillment, satisfaction, safety, salvation in a million things that this world has to offer, and they all left me broke, every single one of them, except for this one, except for this promise, except for this hope that is a reality for the nations, which is why you and I gather today, and our hearts are full and big, right? To, to know that he didn't have to come near to me, he wasn't obligated to come near to me, it even cost him, it cost him greatly to come near to me, and yet he chose to come near to me, to me. I don't even like myself half the time. You know what I'm saying? I have a hard time living in this skin with myself half the time. I have no idea how perfect God over all things would have anything to do with me. Not, not just that he would love me, but that, that he would like me is almost the bigger one that blows my mind, that he would like me. And he came near to me. And for what? Why did he come near? To redeem that which is lost. To redeem that which was lost instead of annihilate it. Somehow his plan wasn't to scrap what was lost, but to redeem it. Which right here tells us a lot about him towards us, doesn't it? A lot of us have some bad ideas about God. Uh, I just kind of mentioned mine. Uh, I, I just have this idea that he can't ever really like me because I even have a hard time liking myself. And, and a lot of us are brought up with this idea that he's just this tyrant that just wants to bully, like he's playing some game up there and, and we're like the pieces on the board and that, and that he's just waiting for us to mess up so that he can come home and pull his belt off. You know what I mean? I, I don't know about you, but, but a lot of us naturally have this idea And this means that that's not true. The incarnation means that that's not true about him and how he thinks of you, what he thinks of you, right? Keller said this, the founders of every major world religion said, I'll show you how to find God. But Jesus said, I am God. 
who has come to find you. That's Christianity. I am God who has come to find you. Thus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what Christians enjoy. This is what Christians celebrate. This is what Christians meditate on this time of the year. This birthday boy matters infinitely because we, for some reason, matter infinitely to him. That God in Christ has come to find us by becoming one of us is the greatest story ever told. And you know what? This wasn't plan B when things went sideways in the garden. This has always been his intention towards us. We have this narrative, I think you're all familiar with it, in the very beginning of our scriptures. Genesis 3, right after the fall, it goes like this. Once the woman and the man ate of the tree, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And that doesn't just mean, by the way, physically, like they were looking at each other giggling. You know what I mean? Like, like this, this means like spiritually, like morally um, uncovered, right? And they sewed. What do they do? First thing they do, we got to co- get covered, right? Uh, so they sewed fig leaves together. They made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden near, okay, in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid, hid, this is what we do, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and and so I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Like, those are some bars. Adam's spitting bars right there. Uh, I still use this once in a while. Uh, This checks out, okay? Uh, And then the Lord God said to the woman, like, like, what is it that you have done? And and she says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And, And the Lord then hands down the death sentence, right? He hands down the penalty to the guilty party, starting with Satan, right? That he was going to have his head crushed, uh, that there was a day that he was going to get his comeuppance, okay? And then he goes to the woman, and then he goes to the man, gives them their sentence, which is that uh, there's going to be a ceiling on their life, okay? There's now death. They're going to die, and then while they're waiting to die, their life's going to be difficult, okay? That's basically what we have, and you and I and everybody else in history has been living that out ever since, okay? And then we read this. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, if he makes them coverings that day of skins rather than the plants that they had already made for themselves, what does this imply? It it tells us that death had to occur in order to get that skin, right? A blood life sacrifice had to happen in order to provide them with a proper, proper covering for clothing. And this was necessary because the covering they made for themselves wasn't enough. It was not sufficient, just like all the other things that you and I run to when we're guilty and we don't run to him. They're, they're all like putting on like leaves. Like, oh, no one can see me now, right? God, we're not hiding. Like God knows exactly where we are. But that which the Lord God would supply was sufficient through the life and the death of another, another, Enter the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Enter the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, the ultimate covering, the once-for-all covering. See, the promise of redemption and hope doesn't start in the manger, the promise of it. It starts way back in the garden. It starts way back in the beginning after we fell short. This is why we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, right? It's because there's this promise of this hope of this final coming that God would make good on, right? The redemptive anticipation begins back there in the garden and it culminates in the stable, in the stable. The Bethlehem birth being the long-awaited promise and hope for the nations. God with us, God near us, God like us in order to properly clothe us. This is what we have. In a sense, we could say that God took his clothes off, Philippians 2, in order for us to be properly clothed. Because this is the reality of what happened. This is Christianity. And this is the Christmas story. See, Jesus didn't come, as so many as tend to think, so we can you know, see a, have a cute baby in a manger and this trippy star that leads people there and these three dudes that bring cologne to him. You know what I mean? Like, like we, get, we get caught up in that, right? But, but rather, he, he like came to clothe our nakedness. He came to clothe our shame and our guilt in a way that we couldn't once and for all so that we may once again walk in the cool of the day, in the cool of the day, in the garden with God, near to him, shame-free, guilt-free, without blaming our wives for any of it. You awake? And so we have every cause as the redeemed in Christ to rejoice today, don't we? Because the infinite became the infant, the eternal became the mortal, the sinless became the sinner, so that the sinner may become the sinless. And this is what we have in this room today for all of you who have put your trust in Christ. Sinner that's become sinless because of what he did and how he's clothed us. For God so loved the world, he what? He, he gave. He gave. I don't care what you open tomorrow. It's not going to top the gift he's given to us. Lord God, thank you that we were somehow even in our guilt and our condemnation, still valuable to you. So valuable that you gave yourself to us that you didn't just scrap it and call it good. I thank you that you came as one of us and that you lived a life we were unable to and then died the death that we should have so that we may now be sinless, clean, with you, near you. So thank you for coming near to us, to your glory. Amen.